Coaches, welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. I'm excited about our guest, J.P. Nurburn, one of our favorites to have on the podcast. His new book is something we want to talk about and uh, just how he is so influential in helping coaches impact their culture and be a leader to take their players and coaches in the right direction. I want to make sure I thank Dr. Dish and Snap Rays for being our sponsors. Dr. Dish is the best shooting machine, machine in the world. Connect with them at Dr. Dish B-Ball, at Dr. Dish B-Ball on all social media. Also mention this podcast and receive $300 off the best shooting machine in the world. We're excited to have Snap Rays as a part of the podcast family. Uh, their fundraising strategies and techniques uh, can't be beat. Check out Snap Rays. Use that money to renovate your locker rooms. Get new uniforms, go on that road trip you've always wanted to, buy a Dr. Dish. It's the most money I've ever raised and also the least work I've ever put in to raise thousands and thousands of dollars um, for my program. So I'm excited about today's guest. I hope you learn a lot and uh, you're going to want to take pages of notes on this podcast. You might have to listen to it twice. Again, coaches, thanks so much for joining us. Coaches, I want to welcome J.P. Nurburn to the podcast. Coach, looking forward to connecting and talking about your new book. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it's good good to be back here and uh, talking to you from the States where I just got back and will be for the next five weeks. So, yeah. Nice. Glad glad to have you back stateside. How's the uh, the jet, jet lag? Are you pretty good with that these days? or? Yeah, I usually get it back, worse going back to Ireland yeah. than, than yeah. coming over here, so. Yeah, I can bounce bounce back pretty 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 quickly coming this way. Well, JP, let's just dive into why we're here to talk about your books and dive on culture and how we as coaches can do a better job. But I'm assuming that through all your connecting with other coaches from all sports all around the world, it's been an incredible learning experience for you. Um, your first book was great. But the second book, man, it has really impacted me for what I've got into it so far. So why write another book and how has your connection with other coaches helped mold you um, to be a better culture leader? Yeah, I like I like how you phrase it there. It's been an incredible learning experience for me, you know, last five, six years of podcast interviews, reading, you know, an insane amount of books on leadership, culture, organizational psychology. Um, behavior, you know, behavioral psychology, all, all these different things that I've, I've taken in and also working with so many different coaches and leaders and being able to implement some of these strategies and help them to really define their core philosophy, their, their core ideology. At the end of the day, um, you know, I, I started to create the outline for this book shortly, like I think a month after I published Calling Up. Um, what I had started to see even in Calling Up, which is a fable type story, was that you know, we needed something even a little bit more clear, a little bit more practical for coaches on how to develop that philosophy, you know, around leadership and to also have some strategies, practical strategies to follow uh, from that. So the thing is, in all my study and research is there are some core principles that guide every great organization, every great leader's philosophy. You know, when it comes to having a vision and having some values, um, for me, I'd even say some core disciplines in our leadership as an individual, but that is just a step in the process. And what follows is some very similar strategies and methods and tools that are used to develop the culture, to bring forth that 
you know, make sure that philosophy comes to life, you know, that, that vision, those values. So that's what we've developed in the last few years is how can we, you know, coaches' lives are so busy. So how do we make that simple? Right. Like, I mean, it's great to have like 50 great ideas. Here you go, go build your culture. That's not really practical for us. You know, like at what stage should we implement stuff? You know, what, what, how do we layer it? So this is really just how we've done it with a lot of different coaches, um, you know, over the last few years. And it's, it's proven to be very, very effective and honestly easier than the traditional, just keep trying to throw new things at the wall and hope it sticks type of approach to building culture. JP, as you were talking, I was thinking about culture and how many coaches have maybe different definitions for culture and what makes up a culture. But I think one of the most difficult things as a high school coach and maybe college coaches can relate is just being consistent. So first of all, talk about how you define culture and how we as coaches can fight for the battle of consistency on a daily basis. Well, First off, when we talk about culture, let's make sure we're clear on this for all the listeners is, is we're talking about a really, you know, strong relationships where people are connected. Um, and then there's also really um, high standards, like the behaviors are what we would really, really want to strive for. So those two things would be really what makes up the culture is the behaviors, the relationships. Now, to be consistent. You can use a variety of strategies, but what you always will, what, always within the core of, of developing this culture and moving it forward is it's around establishing the standards and, and, and those relationships, those building those connections. And then it's supporting those relationships. It's supporting those standards and there's enforcement of those standards. That's it. Like you, you, you're always going to have to have those three things. Okay. If you, don't establish clear standards in your program, or you don't take time to really get to get to know people on a personal level. You never really have really great relationships, or you're really never going to be. If you try to enforce those standards, there's going to be a lot of conflict because it wasn't agreed to upon, and, and people didn't know what it was. If you come in there and you just start enforcing all the time, and maybe you established it, but you're never supportive, there's going to be a lot of people that swim, or sorry, there's going to be a lot of people that sink. Yeah. You know, like some will swim. But if you can't come in there and help support individuals and meet them where they're at and help them develop the skills to be able to meet those standards, then a lot of the individuals that maybe are talented and maybe just come into your program and struggle with certain character type things, they will not be successful. And so if we can get better at support and, and some of the strategies in that aspect, in that area that I share, um, then I think it, that helps us to be more successful. So it's about being consistent at those three areas having a plan. Okay. These are the strategies I'm going to go with. And, and don't just pick something you get out of, you know, like the, the latest idea here, or the latest thing you heard from this championship coach, go to principles or strategies that have been effective and they're timeless. We're talking about the strategies that John Wooden uses. And then Monty Williams uses 40 years later, 50 years later, right? Like these are timeless strategies around how to develop culture. They're changed and tweaked but like that's what i've tried to share in the book is just like these are the ones that we are just everyone's been using them for a long time they're nothing even that fancy or new so what are a couple of those timeless strategies that again were used by wooden and monty and even other coaches from other sports not even just basketball i know you i know that uh you work with coaches not just basketball right soccer lacrosse etc but what are some strategies that 
just seem to stand the test of time. There, one of the things I've I, I've noticed about whether it's Monty Williams, Monty Williams, Pete Carroll, John Wooden, or Captain Mike Abershoff of the Benfold, or some other great organization like Toyota, is that they all have some sort of non-negotiable behaviors. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they're called non-negotiables. Some corporations and and Jim Collins talks about this and built to last and good to great. They're uh, a, a company's musts. We must do this. We must always do like, there's a lot of musts in, in those companies. They're just like these, the, they're the non-negotiables for that company. And so um, these are often tied to those core values. So once again, okay, this is what's really important to us. We talk about selflessness, competitiveness, and hard, you know, hard work. Okay. What are the, what are those, how do those behaviors manifest themselves, you know, well, being on time, eye contact, right? Those are things that are really, really present, you know, and that are great indicators that we are being respectful, that we are working hard. So non-negotiables would be a big one. And then um, th- you might have some following team standards after that, that the players set with each year to connect back to the goal, you know, so bringing players or the people within the organization into empowering them to take ownership as well. Like, I just feel like that's been consistent across a lot of great leaders is they, they don't just come in with a bunch of rules and guidelines. Like wouldn't always would say as time went on, I had less rules and more suggestions mm-hmm. and I have these conversations with players. So that's kind of like an established piece that that's really huge. And then you would just see, um, when it comes to the enforcement of standards, you know, the, the wooden principles of just reinforcing it's a privilege, it's an opportunity here. Like this is a, this place is special. Yeah. Like there's, there's something in like these great companies and organizations and great leaders is we're not, you know, feeding this sense of entitlement that, oh, we need you here. It's like, Hey, this is the standard. We know you're capable of meeting it. We've all agreed to it. If you're not going to meet it, you're going to lose the opportunity to practice today if right. you're John Wooden's team, or you're going to lose the opportunity to be at this company, right? Like it's yeah. just, it's a shared strategy, right? Of enforcement of, the, of that. And it's like, we're not going to drop our standards for you. We'll support yeah. you, but we can't drop the standard. You mentioned earlier about the, the non-negotiable. At Snap Mobile, we know you need a hand. Our platform enables athletic directors and coaches to build thriving programs by easing the administrative duties that come with running a championship caliber team. SnapRaise is our group-based fundraising platform that has helped raise over half a billion dollars for more than 90,000 teams. SnapSend is our secure and transparent money management platform for teams and clubs. SnapStore makes a wide range of high-quality, affordable custom gear available to every student, family member, and supporter. Snap Manage is our integrated registration, rostering, scheduling, and custom website platform for your athletic department. And Snap Connect is our secure, multilingual family engagement and communication platform that allows you to support every family in your community. We're here for you. Visit OnSnap.com to get the support you need. Yeah, I mean, everyone's context is is different. I mean, being on time is great when you don't live in New York City. You know, <laughs> like, 
and you don't have players commuting an hour to, to, to practice. So, you know, I've got coaches that go through those type of challenges. So, I mean, it's not anything that we just wouldn't tolerate. I mean, we wouldn't tolerate fighting and punching each other, but like, we're not going to talk about that. It's like more like, what do I need that is often difficult to maintain over the course of the season to be effective as a leader? And like, for me, if people aren't on time, it really throws me off because I'm all about like efficiency and planning and I want to be out on time. Um, I want eye contact. So to me, it's just a sign of respect. It's a sign that you're locked in. I struggle as a teacher when everyone's not locked in, you know, I struggle as a coach when everyone's not locked in on that stuff. So, um, you know, you try to be specific enough that it's just like very clear and it's observable, you know, but yeah, you're right. It, 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 with some of these, these non-negotiables, you, they change by the context and by the age group for sure. I like what you said about it being observable. So make sure it's something. So, you know, here, here's one. Um, I think it's, you wouldn't just use the phrase, everyone have a good attitude, right? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is like, you could say positive attitude, right? So you could say positive attitude and I wouldn't go, I wouldn't like that. The, the trick around like be on time is like, well, that's, we know what on time is, right? Like it's right. very much clear. It's observable. Um, listening. Eh, you know, some people might say, well, I'm listening to you coach, but I'm not, there's no eye contact. So you have to work to clear that up and say, no, this yep. is, this is what listening looks like as you right. teach that. You can obviously teach, be positive, but sometimes when it comes to identifying behaviors that are necessary, I know people like to stay positive. And like when I work with coaches on this, cause I do this maybe, Oh gosh, I do this a lot every year with coaches is we, whether we're either reviewing or I'm working with a new coach and we're setting some, their non-negotiables, you know, they're like, Oh, I want to be positive. I don't want to have like anything negative, like don't do this or no. And I'm like, yeah, but like what really kills the energy in your practice? And like, oh man, complaining or when players start yeah. blaming or they start, you know, defend, you know, defend or all these type of things. It's just like, okay, you know, like it, it's, it's worth calling one or two behave like on some behaviors out that way. And like Pete Carroll's is no complaining or something like that. I, I, I it's in the book, I, but it's like it's something like that, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. and for John Wooden, it had no profanity, right? You know, so like it was be neat and clean. And it was no profanity and it was beyond time, right? It's like, I mean, so he said, you know, he didn't say use positive language. He said just no profanity. Like, that's the problem. Like, I don't want us to be, you know, I want us to be super clear on it, you know? So I think one thing coaches struggle with, including myself uh, at times, is when a player does not meet the standard or they do not, you know, honor the non-negotiable, Um Many coaches decide to take something away from them as a consequence. And I know there's a terminology of, you know, the difference between consequence and, and, and punishment. Uh, could you dive into that a little bit and how you discuss that throughout your books and uh, what your philosophy is on those, uh, on those concepts? Well, I'm going to correct some of the phrasing you just used is, is I'm going to take something away from you, right? And so that's when we talk about consequences and enforcing consequences. It we're very clear, first off, this is the standard. We agree to the standard, and this is the consequence, which is a loss of privilege. Right. But if language is really important here. 
the difference between punishment, you said it's not really like punishment. The difference between punishment consequences almost more about some of the semantics, the words we use, but it's a lot of times the tone, the body language. But at the end of the day, if I'm punishing you, you feel like it's something I'm doing to you. But if it's a consequence, it's something you've done to yourself. Right. So, hey, you've chosen not to meet the standard around work ethic, you know, hard work, which I like that you brought that up. Like hard work's one of my coaches struggle with like, ah, oh, I want them to work hard. I'm like, well, what's something that you see that's like, they're not working hard that you're just like, like our team really struggles with this. We don't dive on the floor for loose balls or, you know, we don't make play physical. Or if you see this, you know, your team is playing hard, you know, like, so it's like, you can make a standard that becomes more specific and observable and moves the needle. But like, so if a player doesn't dive on the floor for loose ball, that's a non-negotiable in your program, you know, and then it's like, all right, man, you chose not to get on the floor for loose ball. We'll see you in the next drill. You're sitting out this rest of this drill. So you, you can enforce it that way. But it's like the way you, you your tone, your body language, and even the semantics, I think those are pretty important when we enforce. Can I tell a quick story on that real quick? Yeah, go ahead. It's just one, of my, one of my favorite stories to talk about the book there. And there's, there's a cool YouTube video about there, Bill Walton actually talking about it. There's that story, Bill Walton walks into to practice, you know, and it's like his senior year and Everyone thought Walt was going to go to the NBA and he decided he wasn't. He wanted to continue being a hippie and, you know, living life at UCLA. And so he comes to practice and he's got the long hair and, you know, he's not shaving. And, you know, Coach Wood comes up and he's like, hey, what do, you, what do you think you're doing, Bill? And he was like, oh, come on, Coach. Like, you can't tell me what to do. Like, you can't tell me to cut my hair. Like, I'm a senior. I'm the best player in the country. And, he, and Wooden just goes, you're right, Bill. I can't tell you what to do. But I can decide who who's on this team and who plays and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that hair right, you're not going to be able to be a member of this team. Then Walton gets on his bike and you know heads the barber and stuff. Right. But it's just it's a it's a great example of like uh, of reinforcing you know that this is a standard and just the tone and the body language. You just know like you know it wasn't like this this super harsh tone, but it was firm. You know. And we as coaches must understand that tone of voice is um, so powerful. Body language, eye contact, things of that nature. So every every conversation doesn't have to be intense. Or many coaches are yellers and screamers, and you know I've been guilty of that. And so again, we can learn from other coaches and through our own experience that you know there's more than just one method of con- of uh connecting and communicating uh with players even when they need to uh you know kind of be guided in the right direction it can be a fun conversation at times too i think one of my some of my i haven't had the chance to observe popovich i got to go and spend time at the suns this this fall and and spend time with monty and their staff and see them do things but one of the things I've heard a lot about with Pop at Spurs is sometimes, like before he gets really pissed, he gets kind of funny. Yeah. Like, like there's that, like this moment he'll pull over Tony Parker and be like, Tony, you know, this, you know years ago, but like, I'm about to kill Danny Green if you don't do something about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. or he'd be like, or you go up to one guy and be like, Danny, like, seriously, if you don't pick it up here, I might have to, like, you know, club you over the head here in a second. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. but like, there's that playful tone. There's also like, you know, if you don't pick it up, like I, then right. I'm not going to be playing around in a few minutes. You know what I mean? Too. Yeah. So, and that's the key part of having relationships. Like you can even, you know, have a little humor, but it's like they know at the end of the punchline, like okay, it, it's time. Like let's yeah, get yeah. serious. And and it it all also sets the players up where it's like every time 
we do something we shouldn't or coach is frustrated, he doesn't always lash out, jump on us right away, anger right? or some yeah. profane tirade or, or, or what, or whatever, um, you know, it, it, it may be. So, and I know that we've may have discussed some of this before, but what, when you hit a roadblock, like what are some of the roadblocks that pop up in culture? Well, I think everyone likes to talk about the parent issue and the playing time issues, you know, and, you know, those are obviously huge, huge issues that, you know, we could discuss at further length. And I've worked with a lot of coaches on helping to eliminate those issues and actually leverage those to be culture building things. But, you know, as you're asking that question, I think, you know, the thing that people don't, they miss when it comes to culture. I think, I think they're really missing. And if they don't get this right, none of the other stuff matters. And it comes down to ourselves as the leader and being able to lead in a way that's true to who we are as a person, um, not and leave from a place of love and care for our players and a desire to obviously win both win games and impact lives. Um, but not let, you know, ego take over for us where we can't listen to our players, where we're always defensive, where there's no, mm-hmm. you know, we're not listening to our staff or self-doubt come in there and destroy us, you know, like and that self-doubt manifests itself in, uh, you know, ways where, you know, we always got to like, feel like we have it together and, and puts up walls with parents and players and, I think that the big thing when it comes to culture is coaches only look at the external and they never really look down in the internal and then that core aspect of how we're leading and are we setting the real example that we want for players? Are we investing in ourselves? And if you look at the great, the great team cultures and, you know, they always had someone at the helm there. They didn't have to be some super charismatic leader. You know, they didn't have to be the, the, the guy that just everyone wants to talk about and, and hire that, you know, the, the Buzz Williamses of the world, you know, that are just hot, you know, and all that stuff. Everyone loves it. But like, they're just more, oftentimes they're very just normal, right? low key dudes, you know, or women, you know, and it's just like, so I, I think that's, that's, it's just being, staying true to yourself, you know, and, and, and going on that path of, of uh, that leadership journey, I think is huge. So when self-doubt starts creeping in and it can come in for a variety of reasons, how should a coach best deal, deal with that? I mean, I know not just internalize it because that's when you start having these conversations in your head, you know, and it always is negative, right? Do you talk, talk to your staff and what, because self-doubt is going to come in, whether it's because a, a kid didn't follow the culture, we had this discipline, or maybe you, again, I think losing streaks pay people question culture mm-hmm. whether they're related and i know they can't relate it but you may have a great culture and your team just isn't that good but self-doubt creeps in i know it happens with me uh frequently over the years what's a remedy what's a way to get a handle on it there's there's a couple of things one is first off having your let's go back to like core values like they're not really core if you're not willing to stick to these guiding principles of your, your for your leadership for your team. Uh, they're not really core if you're willing to veer off from them 
um, when you don't get results. Mm-hmm. You know, you can change strategy. You might change right. the way you discipline. You might change what, but like, you're not going to change the core. You're not going to change change what like what you really value. You know, um, so I think at one thing you got to know yourself there first off. Secondly, you got to know what you're being willing to worth what you're willing to be worth fired for. Mm-hmm. I think when you know that, or you at least you kind of have tried to articulate that, you'll never really know it when you're until you're in that situation. Um, but knowing that and knowing that you can just go out there, Hey, I'm, this is, I'm doing the best I can with what I know. And at the end of the day, if I get fired or like, you know, like that's right. I'm okay with that, you know, because I've, I've, I'm at, there's a sense of peace there. I think there's also self-doubt, um, that creeps in because I think as coaches, we really, um, I heard this definition of vanity, uh, recently, which was we can be pretty vain and vanity is not always just like, you know, thinking of yourself really highly. It's actually just this preoccupied, I always define as the preoccupation um, with what others think of us either positively or negatively. And I think sometimes when we're in those losing streaks, we think like we wake up, we go to bed, we're thinking about losing. Oh, I'm a bad coach or we're, you know, everyone's just doubting me or whatever this. And then we wake up thinking that. And we think everybody else lives their life around that. Like waking up thinking, <laughs> Matt Smith's a bad coach. I can't believe this. He's it's right. all falling apart. You know, like, like, no, like, yeah. Like someone takes 10 seconds to tweet about us, you know, and blast us there. Right. And then they go about with their lives, you know, like, right. It, it's just, so it's, for me, it's, it's, it's re- recognizing that we're more than just a coach, you know, and yeah. don't actually think, don't, don't, actually think that everyone's actually that overly concerned with us as a coach in, in that ways, you know, so I don't know if that makes sense, but no, well, no, that's a great point. I mean, you know, whenever you uh, are struggling uh, as a, as a team or, or winning and you walk off the floor, man, you think all weekend, that's all anybody's talking about, Yeah, but they're not right. Because that, mm-hmm. the, the parents who they're mad about their son's playing time a little bit, or there's like they've got three kids at home. They've got soccer next morning. They've got church. They've got like, they don't have time just to think about, you know, which basketball team. Now it, they may think about it a little, but I think you're right. Or you walk into school, like everyone's talking about we're struggling. No, they're not. They're really not like, or they're like, yep. Basketball team, you know, eight and very good this year. Yeah. So anyway, now, okay, man, let's can't wait till track. Can't wait till golf. Right. Like the world keeps moving on. I think coaches can be very paranoid. Yeah. Very, very paranoid. I do like that definition of vanity for sure. I think a lot of times we, we get paranoid. Um, and it's just like, if you have a great winning streak, everyone's still not talking about you. Right. That's the thing. Like inversely, like it's not, you are not the center of everyone's universe. Um, yeah. I was going to share one thing on there too. I think a lot of times coaches, we think that the current job we have, like we have to shape ourselves to fit in. I think sometimes we can be, I've seen coaches, they're in schools where the school culture is never going to support what we try are trying to do because it is only focused on winning. It's not focused on, they don't, they don't, they believe it's an either or they think you can't focus on winning and building great people or having a great positive experience, you know, like, 
they think it's going to be all or one or the other when you can actually do both, right? It's both those things. But if you're in a culture, a school culture that doesn't support what you're trying to do missionally or holding players to standards, and they're going to you know, cater to the parents every complaint, or they're not going to hold the players accountable in one sport at all, and then you're the only coach that actually holds them to a standard, it can be very difficult. And here's the thing, that place may not just be for you. You know, just like certain players aren't for us, you may not be for them. And it's just great just to kind of move on. And, and that's sometimes that's the most freeing thing. And here's the great thing too, Matt. I'll just be honest with you. If you're willing to move like 25 to 50 miles, you can find a coaching job because <laughs> their people are getting fired left and right. And they're quitting left and right. So there's plenty of jobs out there too. And so I think we do, we live paranoid thinking this is the only job. And if I lose this job, I'll never get a job. And I, I've just I've walked with some coaches over the last few years that have been down that road, and they have found jobs pretty quickly. <laughs> I think I think that's a great point. Like this job, for example, that I have is not the be all end all for me. Yeah, well, and that's that's every every March, April, May, a lot of my coaches are are looking in different places or interviewing, and you know, one of my biggest things is interview them just as much as they interview you. Yep. Because you, A, when you ask them hard questions around, you know, what's most important to you here? What do you success look like in five years? You know, and they tell you, well, we, we know most important for us is, you know, we, well, we would like to be winning, but we want to see character matter. I'm like, okay, um, give them a hard case scenario. All right. If I have to make a tough decision, I got to remove a player that's killing the culture. Are you, would you back a coach? You know, like asking them hard questions. I mean, you could put them in some tough situations with some of these, some tough questions. Um, I asked, I asked, I took a pro job two years ago. I asked them, I said, okay, so what would you fire me over? Like how much, how much do I have to lose? Just, just, just so I know, like, I'm fine with <laughs> yeah. you. Like, I understand, like you got, I got to get results. I just want to know what it is. You know, I'm not going to let that bother me. I don't, I just don't want to deal with this, like this unknown, you know what I mean? Right. Like, um, but I think when you, when you interview them, A, you for, figure out if this is the, actually the right opportunity and B, you figure you actually make yourself more appealing a lot of times, you mm -hmm. know, like people are like, oh, you know, like, like ask great questions. You're insightful. Like it's, it's people will actually uh, find it way more appealing from my experience. So a lot of good truth there perspective keeping things you know in the right order and yeah i think yeah that's a great question what what are you going to fire me over is it just mismanaging mismanaging the funds or is it like if i lose to the big rival three straight years am i done like just just spell it out for me right um so when i lose that third time i can throw the for sale sign out we're, we're ready to rock and roll you walk into a job do you need to start from scratch with the culture? Do you find aspects that were successful before? Who do you talk to? You talk to the assistants, former players. I mean, how do you get a, your bearings right on what has been established? Coaches, I want to talk to you for just a second about why you should seriously consider getting a Dr. Dish. First of all, their payment plan system is unreal. 12 months, no interest. I paid half up front. And then I paid the other half over the next 365 days, and I have a brand new Dr. Dish CT. On top of that, it's just the best shooting machine out there. The CT is so user-friendly, as are all their shooting machines. So reach out to Dr. Dish 
Tell them you heard about them on the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast and receive a discount. You won't regret it. Your players will get better. They'll get shots up, more reps up, and you'll become a better basketball team. Reach out to Dr. Dish. Follow them on all social media at Dr. Dish B-Ball. Now back to our guest. You know, it's interesting. When, when Money Williams came in to the, well, I guess it was the New Orleans Hornets, Pelicans, whatever. It, it, I, remember, I got confused in the timeline there, but he came in there, you know, first-time head coach, you know, trying to make a big, big impact. Um, he approached it vastly different the second time around when he took over the Suns. And with the Suns, it was like recognizing what's good here and cultivate what is good. And I think like culture, we often think of like as like building a house. All right, this place is crappy here. We're gonna have to bulldoze the whole thing and start from scratch, good or bad, right? Like, because we gotta build it the way that I want it, do you know? Um, but it's more like gardening i always kind of cult you know think about it as like you go in there you cultivate the good kind of couple out the weeds and some of the bads there some things may not look like great but if you actually give them a bit of water and a bit of love they might start to come to life right so there might be a few individuals in that team that are like oh boy they're they're bad he's gonna be a big problem you know and i've had work with coaches on that like they go in there like this guy's gonna be a problem this problem's gonna be and these parents are gonna be a problem and all of a sudden it's like when you just start actually communicating with them you start asking them you know, questions like, what do you want this program to look like? What would, what would success look like for you? You know, what are some things that you'd like to see change in here? And you start to empower them and you start to just be more transparent and, and, and connect with them. All of a sudden, that person that everyone said was a problem becomes one of your biggest allies because you're the first person that came in there and actually treated them like a person, right? So good or bad, Whatever however you want to label it, the culture is what it is. Go in there and focus on what's going good and then start asking, recognize that, celebrate that, point that out, and then start asking people, well, how do we take this to the next level? What are we, what's, what are we going to change? What are our three biggest areas? You know, and just try to find those three things early on, but you don't have to be the one that comes up with all these things like right off the bat, you know? And sometimes there might be some aspects of the old culture that you like to keep. You know, to share a quick story with you, it was interesting. My, my wife used to work with Amazon, actually Amazon in Chattanooga, and then she went to Chewy, and now, now she's at Google in Europe. But like, I always thought it was interesting. She used to tell me when she, cho- she, when she moved companies, um, people hired people from Amazon to go to Chewy.com, right? to make mm-hmm. like Chewy.com, like the Amazon of pets, right? Like they hired them because they wanted to learn from the Amazon people. And so, but they, it was oftentimes the people from Amazon would come in because they hired so many and they'd have this mentality of like, the way you guys are doing things is stupid and it's horrible. And they would just point out the negatives and everyone's like, yeah, we know that. Like, that's why we hired you. Right. You don't need to rub our face into it. So yeah. I thought it was so funny because I always connected that to coaches and me doing this as a coach. Going in there like I got all oh, crap you guys do here, and I, that doesn't. We know that you don't need to point that out. Like we yeah. haven't enjoyed playing here the last three years, you know. Like you don't need to rub in our face. So if you go in there and just say, "Hey, I see some good in here," you know, like, but like, what do you guys think needs to change, or what if we can yeah. change three things? Because you can't change everything overnight. But if you start empowering people along the way, you show them the respect, 
uh, it goes a long way, you know? So personally through this, um, how long have you been doing, uh, thrive on challenge? How, how many years? Uh, almost, almost, almost six, you know, going on five, just over five years now. Yeah. So what are some ways which like you've, it's, just hit you personally that you've just grown as a person doing this. You've been able to connect with some really great people. You've written two really good books. You have your very successful podcast. I mean, but like just how has it impacted you in a way that maybe you could have never even imagined? Mm, that's a really great question. Um, you know, obviously you sat down on this. It was, it was much about improving myself um, as a leader. Um, for sure was, was, was a big thing, you know, it's just learning about culture. We're working on leadership um, and how I run my team. The, the, one of the most amazing things is how it's impacted the culture I develop at home and how I don't want to say run our home, but lead, help lead our home with my wife. We've got three kids and you know, I, I even just the last, I'll be honest with you. I, I want to say it's always been like that. For the last six years, um, but only especially in the last year alone, I've started to take all these things I've learned around culture building and, and leadership, and how to develop resiliency in our athletes, and start to apply that with our own family. And I kind of had this epiphany, which was like, man, the amount of effort I spent in on my team when I was coaching, or now on my business and, and working with other people's teams. If I, I don't even have to spend the same amount of time. If I could just bring the same level of focus and passion and enthusiasm to my role as a parent and as a husband, I think it'd be pretty darn good. You know, like it's, and I think for the longest time I was like, ah, yeah, but like you work 40 hours, so you you can't go parent, you know, like, or then you coach, so you're like, you can't go parent. Like, that's not your job, you know, but like, I just need to bring the same level of enthusiasm and, and, you know, and intentionality. And when I started doing that, you know, it just was incredible to see the relationships with my kids and my wife and just see how they respond to me so much differently now. And um, I feel a lot less like a hypocrite <laughs> because like at the end of the day, you talk about the stuff, you go out there, you work with people, right. you help people on this, you write about this stuff. And at the end of the day, you're sitting there and you're, you know, I wrote a book calling up and I'm not calling up my kids. I'm not calling my wife. I'm calling everybody out. And, you know, then they start using this against you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So hey, dad, turn to page 17. Come on, yeah, man. <laughs> but it's about, yeah, it's, but that's, you know, that's the end of the day. Like, is there any, like coaches can have a huge impact on the lives of our players. No doubt about it. Second or third most influential role in a person's life is their coach by a lot of stats. But number one is the parents. And that's our biggest role is what we're doing at home, you know? Yep. And, uh, I'm just as encouraged by you. Cause like, you know, and about a few other coaches like yourself, you're saying you're kind of toning it back a little bit during the summer. Yeah. And it's like, God, it's so good to hear because like yeah. at the end of the day, our kids don't need to be doing as much basketball as they're doing. We know that. And we're just yeah. doing the keep it up with the Joneses. We've got these programs over here and here and here, and we're so concerned with how it looks. And it's just good to see coaches creating more balance in their life because that's, that's the thing that's just one of the scariest things right now is just just how much out of balance we are. I, I agree. And thanks for sharing those those personal examples. Um, but no, I, I think that man, I just the way we're running sports is so disheartening to me. I mean, I talk to parents 
of like eighth graders, their whole summer's planned out. Now I get it. You, you as a parent, if you allow your kid to do summer baseball and summer basketball and some, I get it. Right. I know some people who let, let their kids do one thing. Like you're not gonna let things overlap, but that's tough, right? It's tough possibly, but I mean, these kids, their schedules are busier than mine and they're 13 and they're traveling all over the place. I'm not saying it's not enjoyable. I, I don't know. I never was played on teams in the summer or anything that was, you know, flying to multiple States to play. Right. But I see that with like eighth grade, eight year old softball teams and the, the amount of money we're spending. And, but yeah, I mean, for me personally, we did less the summer we've done in a while. I sent an email out to the parents and the very first line of the email this year, if I can remember the very first line was, I want your kids to enjoy being kids. I want them to enjoy summer with family. Do not set your summer vacation on the basketball schedule, please. Right. Mm-hmm. Please don't do that. And I don't think any coaches are saying that anymore. I think we, they, they guilt kids to death. If they missed a couple of summer scrimmages, I just can't do it anymore. I just can't. Well, I think too, coaches are trying to control in that, or I think coaches are actually, they feel it's a reflection of their culture if a lot of players don't show up in the offseason. And that's not true because it's very contextual. Like in some communities, in some schools, it's just that norm that everything revolves around basketball. Right. Or, and then other ones are like, well, everything revolves around football and people rarely show up to basketball. And especially down south, you know, where you guys are at, like, it's just, you know, if you get a few guys out for a few weeks for basketball yeah. in the offseason, you're in good hands. Now, there's a few schools out there that have, you know, large and they have the numbers, but that's rare. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just coaches don't aren't good at sharing athletes. They're not good at, like, letting go of the fact that, like, if players aren't coming there, it doesn't mean they're not committed. I like to see kids have more summer jobs. You know, the crazy thing, the, the crazy thing is, I mean, that, that's, that taught me more than basketball in the summer was working, installing heat and air conditioning systems in the South. I'll tell you what, the attics are 120 degrees, man. It's crazy. Uh, but like, like the, the thing is like these parents and, and, and we, we, we go from event to event and I see these, these parents will drop their kids off and they'll come between the games and they'll have their lunch packed and they'll probably, the kid will go home, they'll walk in the door, they'll throw their bag on the ground, they'll go to sleep, the parent will do the laundry, the parent will cook and clean. Like we're not actually really, like they're doing it. Like I know sports are good for you, but there's, we're not teaching our kids to be independent. We're not, we're, we're not tr- having any balance. We're not giving them summer jobs. We're not giving them life experiences outside of sport. And it's really out of whack. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know Louis, Louisiana has really opened things up there for, for teams there. I got a coach there in Louisiana. And I'm just proud of him because he's had the courage to just go. I mean, they were a state championship contending team last year. Um, and it's a rebuilding year for him. He's like, you know what? Us going for every possible week we could potentially practice. They can potentially, arguably, almost practice year round in Louisiana. Yeah, if I'm, I'm right. And it's like some people are going to go for that, and I don't think it's going to help them. You know, it's not. It's going to hurt them, and uh, it's going to hurt the athletes long term. I mean, I work with a lot of college programs, Division three, II, Division two, II, Division one, and one thing I find is that regardless of the division they get to. They all get there and they're all burnt out. <laughs> and, and that's and one of the reasons. I mean, there's yep. many reasons there's so many transfers. Everyone wants to blame entitlement and this and that. It's also just because people just get there and they're just, they're just, yep. We're all, we're all worn out. We've, we've, we've paid all of this, this heavy, heavy cost to get there. And 
get there and it's just it's not that that all it's all it's cracked up to be you know there's more things to life well coaches also have to balance the personal life their family life um all those things with being a head coach and many high school coaches are coaching multiple sports as a head coach or assistant coach, but you know, fighting this, find that balance and where you just don't, you know, make your wife a coaching, you know, a coaching widow for the season and your kids never see you. So I think that's one struggle that coaches have because, you know, we like it when our cars in front of the building all weekend and people think we're working, but there's balance, man, uh, give your family, give your friends, give your church or whatever it may be the time that it needs to uh, give yourself a full and abundant life. You know, it's interesting because I think our conversation definitely went on uh, quite some twists and turns there, but I think it, 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 there, there is a common thread amongst it. And that is the, the idea that a great, and we're talking about all of a sudden like, you know, building culture and doing a great job of that. And we're talking about balance in our life. Um, I really enjoyed this from, you know, good, great. Jim Collins talks about this. A few other people talk about this. You know, Greg McEwen talks about this in essentialism and his, his studies and his research. And I, I've seen it too, is all these great cultures, these great teams, these great organizations, they, it was, it's easier than the good ones or the average ones. And, and Dave Brandt from Messiah College, who used to coach at Messiah, now he's at Bucknell, was at Navy. He's a soccer coach there. Won seven national championships, Division Three at Messiah in eleven years. Brandt always says, "Once you've got things in place, essentially the system is what he's talking about there. But once you've got the, it, it kind of naturally it fl- starts to flow. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's my encouragement for coaches: is don't try to reinvent the wheel every year. You know, you got to develop a system. Obviously, I recommend my book when it comes to that. But like right. Brandt, Brandt. You know, there's a book on brand, you know, Messiah Method, which is a great book as well, too. But, you know, it's just trying to figure out your approach. And then every year you're making little tweaks, little upgrades, you know, um, to, to, to continuously uh, improve it. So uh, the system, a systematic way of developing your culture, I think it can help coaches find balance and fulfillment on this journey that so many of them are, are craving right now. No, that's a great point. Way, way to um, wrap it up. Mention uh, your website. And I know coaches can subscribe to your newsletter. Just any, any way they can get some information from you. What's the best way? Social media, your newsletter. Just throw, mention those briefly. Yeah, I mean, if you're always looking for another podcast, you've got the Coaching Culture Podcast, uh, T-O-C Culture, T-O-C Culture.com. You can learn more about what we do and how we support coaches and help them build these extraordinary cultures and you go to uh, myculturesystem.com if you want to check out some more stuff in the book you know get a free chapter there and get a lot of downloadable checklists and stuff for your season there um, and then also you can get the book the culture system anywhere on amazon so uh, appreciate you having me on matt because uh this was a fun conversation and, and a real conversation and i appreciate it about you man well i appreciate the uh, compliment and again i, I try to have conversations that we might have if we were at uh, Rembrandt's in Chattanooga or uh, Starbucks or something like that and just have a real authentic conversation about uh, things that I may struggle with and have questions on. And I, f- and I figure if I do, then many other coaches around the country as well might have some of the same questions. Well, JP, again, 
thanks so much for connecting again. Um, hopefully I'll be in Ireland sometime next year or two and maybe we can connect or uh, maybe you'll be in this part of the, the South and we can connect in person sometime. But uh, appreciate all you do for coaches. And again, check out his two books. Uh, find them on Amazon, also on the website. And uh, again, JP, I look forward to connecting with you again.